0: Would you turn with me please to our New Testament reading this morning from Acts chapter 2 as we read together verses 1 through 13. As I said moments ago, we are focusing on the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And over the next few Sundays together, certainly in the run up to Easter and beyond into May, we are embarking on a new series of studies entitled encore acts for 2022 and this morning we're coming to acts chapter 2 reading verses 1 through 13 and you'll find it on page 1692 of the church bible if you're watching our live stream broadcast and doing so for the first time this morning each sunday morning we're going to open up the scriptures and study them together as we are convinced that in the study of God's Word, we learn biblical principles that we seek to apply to our lives and live out each day. And so if you're watching, it's helpful for you perhaps to have a Bible open in front of you on a Sunday morning, something to write with, and probably a little notebook as well. And beginning at Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other. What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. There are, I think, for most of us, significant moments in our lives that we remember the rest of our days. It often happens with special birthdays, and years later, someone will say, do you know, I remember my eighth birthday when I had this kind of cake and my mom and dad had a party for me and all my friends at school came and this happened and that happened. For others of us, it's graduation that then moves us on to college. Some of us look back with great memories on college days, our first job, establishing and building a career. For others, we remember falling in love, remember being engaged, getting married, the birth of a child, moving home, promotion, all the natural rhythms and seasons of life, and we look back with great fondness. And I imagine that the people who heard the Apostle Paul preach on that first Pentecost Sunday would talk about it for the rest of their lives. And as parents and grandparents, when they were tucking wee ones into bed at night, they would say, let me tell you the story of what happened when I visited Jerusalem. And God worked in a way he had never worked before. And I imagine at feast days and holidays when folks gathered round family tables for meals, someone would say, Granddad, tell us about that visit to Jerusalem all those years ago. Someone would talk about the reality of a living faith and what it meant for the Holy Spirit to dwell within them and empower them to live out their faith day by day. And if you can imagine all of that in your mind, that's exactly where we're going in the next few weeks. Probably 10 or 11 Sunday mornings we'll spend in the book of Acts. And we begin with the transforming power of God the Holy Spirit coming on his children for the first time in the history of the kingdom of God. And it all begins here in Acts chapter 2. Well, actually, that's not as accurate as it sounds. And we'll touch on that in subsequent Sundays. But when I was putting all this together over recent weeks, our communications department kept saying to me, Richard, give us something to help us describe this new series for Sunday mornings. And I kept thinking, what would I say? And so eventually I came up with the following description. In an unprecedented moment in history, the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts demonstrates the explosive nature of the gospel that changed the world forever. Throughout the book of Acts, God is on the move in multiple directions across all levels of society transforming, renewing, and equipping his children to powerfully live out their faith. If you would like to explore how God worked then and experience him at work today, make it a priority to join us on Sundays as we explore this remarkable, life-altering story of the birth, growth, and development of the infant church in ways they could never have imagined. And all of that is an introduction to where we're going for the next few Sundays. And as you know, it starts here on that first Pentecost Sunday. It is one of the most exciting, dramatic, unprecedented events in the history of the kingdom of God. It is the turning point of the New Testament And it is, if I could use contemporary language, in every sense, a game changer. Everything changes at this point. And it's helpful for us to put it in its proper context. And if you worship with us regularly, you will know that one of the things we do when we come to a new series of studies is take a little more time than we normally would on Sunday morning to put a passage or a book or a phrase in its proper context. And that's exactly what we're doing here this morning. And most of you are educated enough in biblical studies to know that the book of Acts is a sequel to Luke's gospel. Luke wrote both his gospel, gospel of Luke, of course, and the book of Acts. And that means he's the largest single contributor to the New Testament. In other words, he wrote more words than any other New Testament writer. Not more books, that belongs to the apostle Paul, but certainly more words, more of the New Testament in that technical sense. And he finishes his gospel, with the ascension of Jesus up into heaven. And in order to understand the significance of that, and we touched on this a couple of years ago, so please bear with me if this is familiar to you, that the ascension is a significant moment in God's redemptive history. And we tend not to think of the ascension too much. We tend to think of it naturally of the day when Jesus left his disciples and physically went up into heaven. And we know that to be true. But it's the ripple effect of the ascension that matters. And if you can come back in your mind just before the ascension, the night before Jesus died, in John chapter 16, Jesus says in the upper room to his disciples, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that word counselor also means advocate. It is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And so you can rightly read it. It is good for you that I am going away. And unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you now imagine how the disciples were feeling that night because they already had a sense that something was going on and jesus began to say to them where i am going you can no longer come and they had a sense he was leaving and you can imagine them thinking now wait a minute what on earth is going on here And then hearing Jesus say, it is good for you that I go, and they are thinking, Lord, how is it possible it can be good for us? And most of them would be thinking in their own minds, I remember the first day I met Jesus, I remember the impact he had in my life, I know the transformation of my own heart, I've watched his teaching impact others, I've watched him conduct miracle after miracle. I've watched him cure the blind and the lame and the dumb. I've watched him bring Lazarus back to life. I've watched him walk in the Sea of Galilee. I remember those evenings drowned a campfire as dusk grew into nighttime when he would sit and talk with us about his heavenly Father. I remember hearing him pray I remember the peace his presence brought. How is it remotely possible that it's good for us that he goes away? And what Jesus was meaning when he said, it is good for you that I go away, was this. And please bear with me as we remind ourselves of this. That when Jesus was here on earth, he was physically restricted In a human body. In other words, he couldn't be in Jericho, excuse me, Jericho is in the south, and in Galilee at the same time. They're 80 miles apart. He couldn't be two places at the one time. He was restricted by a human body. He couldn't be in Nazareth and Jerusalem at the same time. He couldn't be in Bethlehem and further north in Galilee at the same time. But when the Holy Spirit came then the Spirit of God himself could indwell every one of his disciples and be in Judea and Jericho at the same time and in Jerusalem and Nazareth at the same time and it was true then and it's true today people in Angolia and West Africa as well as Austria or Australia or Alabama or Moscow and the Mississippi, the Holy Spirit indwells at the same time. And the disciples realized on Pentecost Sunday that their emotional understanding, their intellectual awareness of all that Christ Accomplished at Calvary was now so much greater than an intellectual or emotional awareness. Now transformation of the heart and soul had taken place because of the indwelling, enabling power of the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it a game changer. That's what makes it a turning point in God's redemptive purposes. In the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit would come on someone, they would come on an individual usually for a season or for a particular project or anoint that person to be a prophet or a king. There were one or two exceptions, but for the most part, that was it. But now, for the first time in all of history, the Holy Spirit had come to dwell within individuals within the deep recesses of the heart and soul and mind to change that person forever, to give to the person the enabling power and grace of God to live out their faith. And from Pentecost on, no Christian ever had to live out their faith in their own strength. That's why it's so significant. And that's the first part of the context we need to remember. Secondly, we need to remember that when the Holy Spirit came, he came to all of God's children. Not just Peter, not just James or Andrew, not just the apostles, not just that wider group of disciples, but All people from all backgrounds. And what does the scripture say to us? People who were Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, every one of them in receiving the Holy Spirit was transformed. And most of you will be unaware of this because the Greek translation is not as clear as it might be. When you get to the end of that list of people, you have verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and then you will see a hyphen. If you're looking closely at the text, the hyphen there, and if you are interested in New Testament translation, that hyphen takes a place where a translation is uncertain. And in some of the earliest manuscripts it reads both Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs citizens of Scotland and Greenville and it's right there it's right there and my tongue of course is firmly in my cheek when I'm saying that but it emphasizes the reality of the Holy Spirit for the first time was available to all people with from every background to empower and enable us and that is taking place right there now remember what the disciples had gone through over the last few weeks jesus had left them he had promised the coming of his holy spirit but it's 50 days after passover And Jewish people from across the Mediterranean basin had made their way to Jerusalem. They were there for a festival of harvests. And at that point, the Holy Spirit comes. And can you imagine for 50 days what the disciples were thinking? They were thinking, when is the Holy Spirit going to come? Has Jesus forgotten about us? He promised he would come, but it's now been 10 days since he left us. It's been 20 days since he left us. We're now getting into several weeks. What on earth is happening? Will he truly come? What did he mean when he said, and we read it in chapter 1, remain in Jerusalem until the gift that I am sending in the Holy Spirit comes to you. And when he comes, he will come in power. And I imagine they could not wait until the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then on Pentecost Sunday, then the Holy Spirit comes. Remember the words? Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Now let me pause right there. I think most of us, and certainly if you're anything like me, I hate waiting. I want it. I want it now. I want to move on. I want to get things achieved and accomplished. But in the waiting, the sense of anticipation and the expectation was growing. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what does he mean there? He means this, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will wash over you as baptism does. And of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit was symbolic in three ways. There was a mighty wind signifying and symbolic of power. Secondly, there were tongues of fire above the heads of the disciples, signifying the purifying and cleansing that fire brings. And number three, they could speak in a foreign language, because we know that Medes and folks from Parthenon, from uh, Egypt and various countries, Mesopotamia and Arabs and Cretans and folks from Cyrene and Rome understand what the disciples and those who had gathered were speaking in their own language. They were speaking in foreign tongues and others could understand them all symbolic of the power and the purification and speaking in foreign languages, meaning what the impact the gospel would have both in Jerusalem and throughout the world. And all of that was unfolding, each being filled by the Holy Spirit. And notice as you come to verse 12 what happens. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what? What does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Now let me pause there. As the passage unfolds throughout the rest of the chapter, and please let me encourage you to be reading it this coming week, when Peter begins to stand up and speak, he begins to say, Listen to me. Let me explain. And he quotes from the Old Testament prophecy of Joel. And throughout the Old Testament, you find the prophecy that points towards the coming of the Messiah and the fulfilling of the messianic role and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And you see it in Joel and Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. we read these words. I will take from you your heart of stone and I will give to you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to follow me and my law all the days of your life. And that's what happened on Pentecost Sunday and has happened in every subsequent generation since. The Holy Spirit spirit indwells us. God breathes spiritual life into hearts and souls that are dead and far from him. And he causes us to follow him, love him, and walk with him all our days. And all of that is unfolding right there. Now, having said all of that, please also remember this, that the Holy Spirit is not given to us grudgingly, in some hesitant manner and you've heard me slightly tease with this in the past that when we come to god and we begin to pray he never gets fed up and says here they come again they'll be wanting me to bless them can't they just get on with life without me it's the very opposite He lavishes his love on us. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. He lavishes his love upon us. He gives to us his Holy Spirit in all of its, in all of his fullness. And therefore we have access to him to live out our faith day by day by day by day. Now some of you may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear this. I understand everything you've said. You've mentioned this in the past. This is not an unfamiliar theme to us on a Sunday morning. But Richard, please help me understand in a way that I can grasp it. Make it clear. Please make it accessible. Richard, please don't talk about biblical hermeneutics or the theology of theodicy. Illustrate it for me in ways that will sink down deep into my mind and into my soul, ways that I can remember and live out this week. Well, let me try and let me use two illustrations as we begin to apply this passage. The first is this. Last summer, Ruth and I decided that we it was time to redecorate my study and the downstairs bedroom. Now, we've been in that house about 15 years, and of course, over the years, we didn't renew the carpet when we first moved in, and we'd given it a fresh coat of paint, but it was getting old and tired. And so we decided last summer that we would redecorate. And so we had to empty the study first. That meant for me, I had to box up and bag over 800 books. It meant I had to move bookshelves that were two and a half feet wide by about just under seven feet tall. There was 11 of them. I had to uplift the carpet, move the desk, move the printer, and everything else that was in my study. I had to take units apart and move them outside. And so we did all of that, then take up the carpet. Then we had to do the same with the bedroom. And if you can imagine, in any bedroom, of course, there are dressers and drawers and beds and carpets and closets. All had to be emptied, taken out, sleep in another room, leave both rooms open for two weeks while the painter arrived. And then, of course, prepared the walls, put on uh, new I'm trying to remember the words used in the United States, uh, drywall. Uh, you put in new drywall and cement and cover it over with plaster and then put an undercoat and a topcoat, and it took forever. Boy, was it hard work. And in moving back in, we started to say to each other, do I really need this book? Someone into one pile that we gave away to goodwill, others were kept. Do I need this coat, this jacket, this top, this pair of pants? And we went through each one step by step by step. And I imagine you would do exactly the same thing if you were redecorating a couple of rooms in your house. I imagine each of us would decide, do we need it? Is it necessary? Yes or no? Now, when the Holy Spirit enters into the life of an individual... He comes into our life at the point of belief when God reaches out in the gospel and touches us heart and soul and mind and gives to us a new heart and new appetites and new motivations. He then, through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, says to each one of us, it is time for change and he changes our nature. He changes the way we speak, the things we say, how we think, our appetites and our longings. And he begins to redefine who we are, and he changes our personality. And in so doing, all of that work he is seeking to make us more and more Christ-like day by day by day by day. And when He has finished refurbishing and redecorating the inside of our heart and soul and mind, He looks at us and says, yep, they belong to me. They're mine. That's the primary work of the Holy Spirit. He brings us into union of profound intimacy with his Father, and then he shapes us and forms us and changes us every aspect of our life. And he never, ever, ever leaves us to live out our faith in our own power. And the days when things become overwhelming and your back is up against the wall and you don't know what to do or where to go next and the only place you can go is on your knees, then the Holy Spirit empowers. Then he gets alongside you. Then he wraps you in his arms of love and grace and sustains and strengthens you. That's the primary work of the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you my second illustration as we begin to make our descent this morning and it's this. This past week, our Supreme Court took up a new case that involved a high school coach from Oklahoma. His name is Coach Joe Kennedy. And it got all the way up to the United States Supreme Court for this reason. Coach Kennedy is a football coach in his local high school. And after the game had finished and the players left the field, Coach Kennedy would simply go down on one knee and prayerfully give thanks to God that his students had played well, no one was injured, that they were maturing in their sport, and that they had played well as a team. Someone objected. Coach Kennedy lost his job. Simply for quietly praying. Folks, let me be a little controversial and go out on a limb here. If Coach Kennedy had taken a knee during the national anthem, to protest about the lesser spotted owl in a local environment close to his high school, do you think he would have lost his job? Or if he'd taken his knee to protest any number of legitimate protests, please don't think I'm getting down in the spotted owl, whatever the protest was, do you think he would have lost his job? And please remember this. The First Amendment to the Constitution tells us this, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I will be very surprised if the U.S. Supreme Court decide against Coach Kennedy because it's right there in the Constitution. At the end of this opening section, the people who were watching on that first Pentecost Sunday looked at each other and said, and the passage tells us, they were amazed. And some said they've had too much wine. When you begin to take your faith seriously, when prayer becomes a priority... Worship becomes important and you begin to live out your faith and your personality changes, your appetite changes, you take the commandments seriously and seek to become more Christ-like day by day by day. There will come a time when you will face opposition. Sometimes that opposition is internal when you convince yourself there is no point going forward, it's time to give up, I'm fed up, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, that's the moment when you really need to dig deep and pray. And sometimes opposition will come from the outside. And others will look at you askance, treat you as odd and weird and just funny. But we are called to live out our faith day by day by day by day. And growing and maturing in your faith is the primary work of the Holy Spirit as he refreshes and renews and gets to work in our lives. We take a stand that is gentle and gracious, never strident, never aggressive, never in someone's faith's face, never condemning. But nonetheless, we take a stand. And when you take that stand, don't be surprised if you sense the hand of the Holy Spirit on your shoulder and the words of Jesus come to mind. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive His power as well, because He never calls us to live out our faith in our own strength. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage this morning. Bless it to us, encourage us, help us this week to read back over it, to reside within its words and verses, and enable us above all things to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.